Hello, and welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining, your Cliff Notes to American Politics. I'm Frank, and I'm back here with Byron again. And if you're listening for the first time, we want to welcome you to the show. If you're listening uh, and it's not your first time, we want to thank you for coming back and listening again. Uh, Byron, for those first-time listeners, just go ahead, jump in, tell them what we're all about, and uh, share anything else you want to before we get started. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this. And uh, thank you for coming back. And if this is your first time, like my co-host said, thank you for joining us. Uh, Politically Entertaining, we just pretty much try to break down what's going on in news and politics for those that may not follow it every day. And if you do follow it every day, we hope we can bring something different to the table. Uh, Frank, what um, what did you get into last weekend, man? I mean, I wasn't doing too much. Like I said, I told listeners before I'm a new father, so... Mostly changing diapers and rock, rocking a kid to sleep and hoping, hoping she stays asleep. <laughs> okay. Well, the tight end for the New England Patriots, Rob Gronkowski, who is, you know, phenomenal at his position, probably probably one of the best already that's ever played the tight end position. He had a slightly different uh, weekend than you and I did. He had what we're calling the Grunt Cruise, where he got a cruise ship, and about 700 people paid and um, attended this uh, grunk boat. And let's just say this for the for the for the view. I almost said for the viewers, for the listeners. I can sum up his cruise with this 10 second clip. Everybody, take a listen to this clip real quick. Why are you on the Gronk cruise? Sleep with Gronk. But you understand that that's tough. That's gonna be tough. It might be tough because there's like way hotter chicks than me. But I'm hoping I'm a little bit more freaky than them. <laughs> wow. I mean, <laughs> she. Can I just say oh. how sincere she sounded? <laughs> she said. I mean. <laughs> I'm wow. not the hottest chick, but hopefully I'm freaky. <laughs> mm. Fathers, fathers, raise your raise your daughters. You know, raise your daughters. That's all I can say. Raise your daughters. Oh man, let's get into some politics, man. Politically entertaining. Your clips notes to American politics. And now your hosts, Frank and Byron. So man, let's 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 talk let's talk about what's what's really going on. Obviously last week, um, you know, Trump is is, is still around and, and emerging. Just what do people need to know going into this? I know we talked about last week, you know, about Trump, about Clinton you know, a week later, uh, you know, what exactly is going on as we approach Super Tuesday? Well, as we talk now, um, let's just first, with the Democrats, uh, Hillary put a thumping on Bernie today. The last I saw, it was like 78% to 22%. Mm. So I knew she was going to win, but I had no idea she was going to win that bad. And it looks like we're getting closer and closer to uh, Trump winning the nomination. Um, But before we get completely into politics, I do want to let the people know, since me and Frank recorded our last episode, which was last Saturday night, you know, Frank, um, we had three mass shootings 
since uh, our last recording, which was just a week ago. And I don't really want to get into the whole, you know, outrage of we need to do something about guns and, you know, that whole argument because nothing ever gets done. But I did just want to, um, you know, just get your opinion on, you know, what what's going on as far as uh, these shootings. We had one in Kansas, there was one in Washington, and the one that um, people really know about the most was uh, the Kalamazoo shooter. Um, they're dubbing him, I guess, the Uber driver. And I don't, really, I don't really have a lot to say on him just other than I don't want to hear any type of insanity plea because this sick guy, you know, he killed four people and had the wherewithal to go home and switch vehicles. Uh, this is after buying, like, a heavy-duty coat to cover up his, his weapon. And then he went out and killed two more people. And, you know, it's gotten to the point now, Frank, that this country has gotten numb to it because of the three mass shootings, we get, we barely got any news coverage on it. Like, you know, it, it's it's just getting out of hand, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is tremendously frightening uh, when you think about the magnitude of, of what it means to take somebody's life. And I think, you know, in this, in this day's world where people play all these video games where you can play play war, so to speak, and do different things, and you, you've seen these things happen, but I don't think people are really understanding how devastating these things are. And, you know, you mentioned the three mass shootings in just a week, and then you think about, you know, the San Bernardino shootings even, you know, earlier this year. It's just it's just incredible, um, you know, the, the amount of things that's going on. And I think, you know, there's going to be, polit- you know, because we are a political show, I will, I'll take a stand and say I don't believe the answer is a, is a political one. I, don't, I, don't, I, I do think that certainly there needs to be potentially better uh, gun laws, and certainly, you know, on, on the conservative side, I don't think necessarily that guns will solve it. You know, some people say, well, if the people had guns and they would have, you know, found out and, uh, you know, killed the guy who was actually shooting the Uber driver. Well, that's not necessarily true either. I just think that the will of people to do evil is trumped by any weapon. And so, you know, we really need to take a closer look at, you know, what what it is, you know, we're projecting in our culture and things like that. And that's more important uh, than, than, say, what, which, who has guns and who doesn't have guns. Because, you know, people have been killing people for a long time before guns. And it's just a very tragic thing to happen. And certainly going forward is something that we all have to be aware of, be aware of your surroundings. You know, if you're somewhere and you see something strange, don't be afraid to call the authorities and let people know if you feel like something weird is happening because it may don't, – don't ignore it. Don't ignore your intuition. Uh, uh, and that's, that's pretty much it. You know, I don't want to turn into a PSA for anything like that. But it's just definitely something to me that in America today we just we just pretty much are like, oh, another, another shooting. And and it just it just doesn't touch us like it really should. We we are numb to it. And I I did want to point out a there is like one I guess you would call it a touching story. Uh, one of the people he shot because originally they thought uh, seven people had died, and uh, this one teenager who they thought was dead. Uh, I can't remember I can't remember what sex it is. I can't remember if it's a he or she, but uh, they're in the hospital and I guess they're like a, a organ donor or whatnot. And like right before they're about to, because they think they think they're dead, right before they're about to, you know, cut them open and begin getting um, the organs. Um, it's, I know you don't watch Frank. And, I mean, I know you don't watch The Walking Dead, Frank. But it's uh, that scene where um, Rick's kid Carl is in the bed and he's holding his hand, and at the very end he like grips his finger, 
And that's what happened. Uh, the teenager grabbed the parents' hand, and they they found out that they were alive. So I thought, you know, that was, you know, you always try to find some good in in tragedy. So that was that was good to hear. But I hope he gets whatever the worst penalty is for him. Now, um, something that we've talked about a lot on this show, Frank, uh, when it comes to, you know, the African-American vote going pretty much to the Democrats 90% of the time. Um, you know, we had the South Carolina primary today, and Hillary won big. But I wanted to get your thoughts as far as our – and I want the listeners to think about this. Like, are black people being, like, played for their votes if you look at, like, you know, Hillary Clinton, for instance, she she was traveling around this week with the mothers of um, Eric Garner and Trayvon Martin and, you know, really surrounding herself with, you know, these black mothers. And, you know, she one of her um, events was interrupted by a young woman named Ashley Williams who wanted her to apologize for a super predator uh, comment back in 96, which she, you know, she refused to do and, she kind of flippantly answered, like, well, I haven't been asked about that to apologize. And so naturally that's going to make a voter think, well, you shouldn't have to be asked. If that's something you regret, you would apologize without it being prompted to. So do you think it's genuinely let me, let me stop, let me, let me, let me stop you right there, Byron. Can you, for, for the listeners that may not know what that meant, can you give a little context to a super, Hillary Clinton and the super predator comment so that people can say, okay, what exactly was that even about? Good point, good point. Absolutely, absolutely. In 96 before, you know, when they were trying to push this crime bill uh, during the Clinton administration, she made a speech to where she was just saying how we have to do something about, you know, these criminals and these, these young teenagers, these super predators. I mean, she made them seem like something out of a comic book that, that are like busting through walls and, you know, just taking and, and, and raping everybody you know and love when, you know, when it comes to crime, Frank, it's, it's, it's a very nuanced thing, and the way she talked about, you know, in particular young minority males, it made a lot of people uncomfortable. And when you look at how many people the Clinton administration, you know, locked up during his administration, you know, people are looking back on that, and they're a little uncomfortable with that comment. And that, that line, that, that phrase, super predator, really stands out in that speech. And, you know, a lot of black people would like for her to apologize for it, and she has yet to do it. So, you know, do you think, you know, when you see her parading around with the, the black moms or even, even I don't want to put it all on uh, Hillary because, you know, Bernie, after his New Hampshire win, I mentioned how he was, you know, videos of him shooting basketball and meeting with Al Sharpton in Harlem. Like, how genuine is this to you, or is it, you know, is it somewhere in between, or is it just completely a charade? Oh, man, that's a tough, man, that's a tough question. It's a great question. I think it all depends on your level of cynicism towards people. I think if you're a complete cynic, you're going to say that, well, they're only pandering to black people because they know that they want to keep the black vote. Uh, they know they need to show a presence with black people, and, and so, therefore, there's that. Then if you take more, uh, if you take the optimistic approach, you'll say, well, you know, they really care. Uh, and, and you'll say the GOP is not, has not met with any of the black moms or any of the black people who have suffered tragedy, so they, they do really care. Um, I'm, more, I'm more moderate, so I'm going to take the middle of that. I'm going to say I don't feel like it's necessarily genuine, you know, sympathy, but I do think, do think that 
they have this is part of their plan to the base but i do think that they that they understand that it is a tragedy now whether or not they feel like it's something that really really touches their heart is difficult but i think they do understand things are tragedy and i think they understand that the african american community is underrepresented uh, you know in some areas as far as you know political representation so they're trying to show that they have that 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 voice and i understand that uh, it's just that you know it doesn't it be it just it just sometimes because it only happens during election season uh, it just sometimes makes you feel cynical about the whole process but i do feel like when you look at you, you mentioned eric garner's mother and and uh, did you say Tamir Rice's mother or Trayvon? You said Trayvon Martin's mother. Trayvon, yeah. Oh, Trayvon Martin. Okay. So, you know, I do think that, you know, it it's just it's just difficult to say. I mean, my my question would be if if where, where was she was she anywhere in contact with with them when it happened? Because Trayvon Martin's death is to happen. You know, what was it happening in 2012? Am I am I even am I putting that back too far? Did it happen? Um, I think it was 2012. Wow, I can't believe it's been that long. So I'm saying, yeah. was was and then Eric Garner was 2014. Am I saying that wrong? If you, you can correct me if I if I'm wrong. Um, that feels it feels more like last year. I, I think. Okay, so you feel like it's last year. Okay. Well, you know, regardless, was 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 Hillary Clinton around? Was Bernie Sanders around? Any of these, any these people when these things happened? Were they at any of the initial rallies? Any of the initial things? And that to me is a telling sign. It's like. Did you wait until it became okay for it to be a politicized movement, or did you go out there in the kindness of your own heart? And I think that's the problem with politicians now. We have a problem trusting them, especially in the black community, as you mentioned, because it's like, well, you know, we talked we talk about this, I think, a little bit last time. You talked about Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan, this didn't just happen. This has been an ongoing problem, and, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, a media story broke that the water had been tainted, that it just kind of was like, before it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you need to just boil the water a little bit better. And, you know, yeah. and these people knew that something was wrong for a long time. And I didn't see anybody down riding down to Flint, Michigan, and making a stand before it hit, it hit the news. So I just think that politicians, the political system is so self-serving that it's difficult to to, to really think if somebody, you know, trusts you, and it's certainly for as, as a minorities, African-Americans, we have to be very careful uh you know, in the future, just pledging our, our vote behind the, the Democrats. But the problem is the GOP doesn't – and we've talked about this before, and like I said, I don't want to get sidetracked on this. The GOP doesn't seem to – it doesn't even seem to acknowledge the issues. I think, you know, I'm surprised that they, they don't they, – that they think – it's almost like, you know, this is something we talked about last week, talked about Black Lives Matter. And I almost think that there's two different subtexts of the word. Some people think that it means – Black Lives Matter more, and then some people think it means Black Lives Matters also. So the the GOP side doesn't want anything to do with with the Black Lives Matter because they they pander to an a, um, a demographic that thinks when they see Black Lives Matter, they're saying, oh, Black Lives Matter is more than other lives. And so, and the other side of that is Black Lives Matter because it matters also because there's been problems with, you know, the police and everything. So I think the problem is there's no, no nobody is, is able to look at the at these issues objectively. And, 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 and so you're seeing, as you mentioned, going back to your original point about getting played for the votes, it's like it's almost set up that way because you've got one part that's completely ignoring the issue and the other part is like seemingly swooping in like, they're here to help, but what other choices do they really have? 
I mean, if they, you know, they got to, you know, somebody has to take these votes, right? Somebody's got to get the black growth, so might as well be there like, all right, we'll swoop in and take it. So it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough situation. Um, but like like you said, I think you say something very, very good on every show. You say do your research and do your research and just be confident and vote for the best candidate possible and don't come up with an excuse on, on Super Tuesday or any other election day and say, I'm not voting because I don't like any of the candidates. That's not a good enough, not a good enough reason. Get out there and vote regardless and and make sure you know you understand the process to hopefully get better candidates you know out there in the future what you just mentioned in your answer is what i try to uh, respond to whenever i talk to a black republican you know their number one question is why i don't understand why black people vote for a party that they're just pandering to them they don't really care about you know black people and i try to tell them you know Black people, I mean, what choice do they have? One party seemingly doesn't pay them any attention, like you mentioned in the first episode, doesn't show any type of outreach, and yet the other party may or may not be pandering, but at least they're, you know, acknowledging. And, and like, you you haven't seen any Black Black Lives Matter questions in any of the Republican debates. And to uh, Senator, well, Secretary Clinton's uh, credit, I will give her this credit, because I don't want the folks to think we're just picking on one candidate. We try to be as fair as possible. She is the first presidential candidate that brought up Flint, Michigan. Uh, it was during one of the debates, and she was the one that brought it up before Bernie. Uh, the Republicans haven't mentioned it at all. Like I told you in the first episode, one question has been asked throughout the 10, 11 uh, debates that they've had. So she she definitely has done some things that I think she should get some credit for. And, again, I want to remind the folks, you know, we mentioned the super predator comment early. She has to own that, but she's also taking a lot of flack for that crime bill. I just want to remind the people that Bernie also voted for that bill, and a lot of the Congressional Black Caucus supported that bill. Um, Now, today, folks, I want to let you know we do have a politically entertaining first. We'll have uh, the co-host of Wind Down, The Wind Down, Erica Perkins, joining us just shortly. Uh, before we get to her, I did want to um, just go over Super Tuesday that's coming up, and there are 12 states that will be voting this Tuesday, and they are Alabama, Virginia, Alaska, and um, let's see what else, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, Massachusetts, Georgia, Colorado, and Arkansas. Uh, You're going to hear a lot about open primaries and closed primaries. I did a terrible job of explaining between uh, caucuses and primary. This is a lot more easier. Closed primary means if you're a registered Democrat, you can only vote for the Democratic nominee. If you're a Republican registered, you can only vote for a Republican nominee. Open primaries, it doesn't matter what you're registered, if you want to, you know, Frank, if you want to have a say-so in who wins the Republican nominee, you can vote that and vice versa. So you'll probably hear a lot of those. Uh, but if if you're one of those Super Tuesday states, make sure you go out there and vote. And, again, I just want to go over the fact that Clinton is, well, she has blown out Bernie in South Carolina. So he needs a good showing on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I've, I've said this before, and I don't want to harp on it because we got a lot of stuff to still get to. But I think Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's 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 pretty much over, right? I mean, he's on he's on 
he's on life support, he's still on the machine, and still feeding him, he's still breathing, but he's not conscious. Is that is that a, a accurate assessment of where he is right now? Well, we you know we talked about it, and I said you know the the math just wasn't adding up, and I said he would struggle in the South, and this was the first Southern um, primary for the Democrats, and. She exceeded my expectations, to be honest. I thought she would win by 20%. I had no idea she would win by nearly 60%. So he definitely uh, needs some big victories this Tuesday. Or otherwise, like you say, it is over. <laughs> Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Not much goes on in Mobile without today's guest being involved in some type of capacity. She is the unofficial mayor of my hometown, Mobile, Alabama, and the co-host of the very entertaining show, The Wind Down, Miss Erica Perkins. How you doing today, ma'am? I am great. How are you all? Hey, Frank. Hey, what's up? How are you? I'm well. Hey, Byron. What's going on, EP? We really appreciate you doing this, ma'am. Oh, it is my pleasure. I'm honored that you would have me on your show, which is a very politically entertaining show in and of itself. I absolutely enjoy every moment. I feel like I'm back at Phillips Prep times 10. (laughs) We appreciate that. Well, I wanted to uh, start off with talking about... um, the wind down and I guess okay. I wanted to know like you know how did the show come about like whose idea was it okay. and um you guys awfully actually you guys um you know give things from a woman's point of view so you know what made you think that we needed that female voice out there how did it come about okay well um the wind down is a podcast that features um Aunt B and uh, myself um two educated women working in corporate America that really um, wanted a creative outlet to discuss some of the things that um, we find important. Um, We actually met through a book club, um, Distinguished Book Club, and I realized that she's absolutely hilarious. I hadn't known her. You know, I didn't really mix and mingle too much with people outside of John Ella's floor. Um, So to come back home and to meet her was an absolute blessing. And so – um, in exchanging um, different ideas uh, via the book club, um, the Lord put it on my heart um, to ask her if she'd be interested um, in working on a show. And we didn't really know what we wanted. We just know we needed to do something um, to articulate a different point of view so that, you know, educated women can get a little shine and celebration around this bit. Mobile is a city of we love all things ratchet, so we definitely wanted to present a duality. Um, and so that's how it essentially came about. That's that's what was so appealing to me to finally um, – there's not a lot of, I guess, uh, female voices. Like a lot of the shows and podcasts I listen to are from a male's point of view. And one of the first shows me and Frank did, you know, we talked about domestic violence with women. Right. So I really like, you know, listen to your show and just get, you know, inside what females think. And you guys are a perfect match because I look at her as like, uh, you know, when you guys are talking about relationships and stuff, she seems a little more pessimist. Uh, I know she mentioned the story about a guy buying her flowers one time. <laughs> 
she was like, that is oh, not the way to her heart. Yeah, she he probably do that for everybody. And you more like, I would say you're more optimistic about dating. Um, so I, I've definitely been listening to the show, and I already have my favorite episode. What, what has been your favorite episode so far? Oh, man, there have been so many. Um, and to me, it's always the last one that we did was our favorite, right? Um, but I think in topic, let's just do it from a topic standpoint. Um, when we were um, discussing the R. Kelly issue, because I found myself battling um, with with not judging R. Kelly, you know, judge not and you shall not be judged. And I know I've done some things in my past that I'm not um, proud of, but pissing on a young and ain't never been one, right? right. <laughs> so <laughs> I have my issue with rectifying how I loved his music, but I don't like his actions toward um, young women. And I'm passionate about uh, maintaining the integrity and the heart and the soul and the spirit of our young girls so that we don't have um, the domestic violence uh, cases that you spoke about. And it's, it's interesting that you all touched on that because, as you know, here it's a real issue with men killing the women with whom they've been in relationships with. And I noticed it when I when I moved back home about five years ago, there was a, a case where a man went to the job of the woman that he was seeing who also had his four children, um, and he killed her on her job, like jumped through the window and killed her. And the irony in that, or some would say the generational curse, was that her mother passed away the same way at the hands of the man that she was in a relationship with. And so that was like the first case. Um, but then it's almost like every other month there was another case, and it started to make me question, like, what's going on down here to where the men are so emotionally um, unstable that they will go so far as to kill the woman that they think they possess or own. Um, and since you can't do anything to change you know, another person's behavior, what you can do is protect yourself. And so I do encourage the women to protect themselves. Um, and so I say that because I know if a woman is sexually abused or in a relationship as a youth with an older man, then it's kind of harder for her to keep those pieces intact as she starts to date um, as an older woman. And so I just, you know, I, I can't really feel in the Arkells right now. So I think that would be the one that I'm – it's my favorite because I'm still challenging myself with it. Like, what's my position? How do I not judge this man but still listen to his music? I'm trying to find a way to keep listening to his music, but I haven't found it yet. I think, I, I think a lot of people have um, found that dilemma with not just R. Kelly, but you go back in the day to, like, Miles Davis um, right. or even, like, now with uh, Bill Cosby. Wait a minute. Did um, Miles Davis, like, beat the brakes off Cicely Tyson or something? He did for, and he he was never apologetic about it either. So, okay. Uh, it, it, put it like this to to close that up. If if you took like the strong stand or not, you you would find yourself literally not watching or listening to anything if you really found out what a lot of these entertainers do in oh, their man. private lives. So, like you say, just you just gotta you know protect yourself and not like their actions. And if you happen to enjoy the entertainment, then that's that's what it is. But doesn't no. that compromise, like, your morality or your ethics if you say, oh, I don't like his actions, he beats women, he pisses on kids, he does all of this, but, oh, I'm going I'm to go ahead and pee-pop to what he's saying. You know what I'm saying? To his music. That's kind of, I don't know. Y'all think it's, that's okay? Well, well, let me ask you this question here. Let me, this is actually interesting. So 
obviously we're a political show, you know, talk about politics, but you mentioned that and you say, well, how does that make, does that compromise us? Let's talk about Bill Clinton just, just for a second. And, you know, we know what he's done as far as, uh, you know, his uh, extramural activities, you know, right. Monica Lewinsky, we all know, I mean, it's almost become a, a joke in some ways. You see, her, you see her face on memes and stuff like that. And we made that into a joke that, you know, the, the President of the United States, who, who was married, had, had an affair, had, you know, other other issues when he was a governor in Arkansas, and yet we were comfortable saying, oh, well, he's the first black president, he's cool, you know, he, he you know, he cheated on his wife, he's, and it's like, so we almost, in some regards, have made a joke out of, and we, and we talked about this, obviously, previously, we've made a joke out of, out of some of these things, uh, from a male perspective, like, oh, you know, yeah, he beat, the, he beat that chick, but hey, maybe she deserted, or hey, you know, he cheated on her, hey, it happens, you know, but he was the first black president, right? We dismiss I mean, it, or we make it okay crazy. in some kind of way. Right. Exactly. You know, I don't really rock with Bill like that, though. I ain't really feel <laughs> Bill. You... Yeah, you and I, and I say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know, it's one thing for him to cheat on his wife. Yeah, that's what you're going to do with your penis. But when your policies start impacting African Americans, then I have a real issue. And the fact that um, so many African Americans were incarcerated under his presidency, that you know, we would deem him the first black president is problematic. So he was like the overseer president. Which one was he? Because him being a black president and yet not truly having um, an agenda to progress black people, namely the 1.2 million that were incarcerated, I, that's problematic. I ain't really feeling him. I'm not. Okay. Okay. Well. <laughs> so I really, I really could care less what he does with his penis as long as it's not with a child. You know what I'm saying? Like he cheated right, on his right. wife. Yeah, but his policies and, and I, were far more fucked up. A lot of people. A lot of people were kind of accepted his actions because she kind of, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton herself, to some people she kind of used that as an advantage to kind of springboard her political career as she was painted as like the strong wife that stood by her husband and she kind of benefited from it. So I think that's why some people, like what Frank mentioned, kind of, I don't know, they was riding for Bill and that and kind of made it seem cool, which it wasn't. I mean, because, hold up, we big up rappers for getting hit every song, right? It's, I mean, like, nobody is going to, by run on this shit, the culture has already accepted that men get their, men who aren't their wives. And the fact that Hillary rode with him just further reiterates that whole ride or die chick that they should men promote. <laughs> Men would want to believe that they can have their policies and then they're going to keep their woman anyway. So I think that's probably what made her more likable to men because, you know, when you're that powerful and you have that much going on, some men don't really like you. But I guess that was her vulnerable statement. We got Erica Perkins with us, uh, again, the co-host of The Wine Down. Um, <laughs> now, you do uh, – when I introduced you, I uh, uh-huh. said you were the, the unofficial mayor of Mobile because, you know, every time I see you, you're involved with so many different things. Last week I saw you guys had the uh, the water drive for Flint, yes. Michigan. Yes. Um, do you have anything that's, that's coming up as far as, um, you know, charity events or uh, any type of social events because I know you're involved in that as well? Well, yes, um, as far as charity events, you know – after we did the Christmas cuts, um, I had committed myself not to do 
um, any more quote unquote charitable events, right? I don't necessarily look at them as charitable events. I look at what does the community need provide, you know, fulfill that need. And so we've done the the Christmas cuts, we've done um, clothing drives, we've done canned food drives, um, and and much love and support because when you extend a call to action to Mobilians in the Gulf Coast to help. Nine times, 9.99 times out of 10, you are going to see, um, you're going to get what you want. People are going to turn out. They're going to get involved, especially when it's about the babies. Um, But one thing that started to concern me personally was whether or not we were putting Band-Aids on issues that were equivalent to an amputated arm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no way a a Band-Aid can fix the bleeding of an amputated arm. And so we're doing all these one-offs. What's better for the community? What What's best? It's almost like that parable you could teach a man to fish or you can feed him fish or however it goes. And it's like, all right, well, you put out um, a jacket. Why your baby ain't got no jacket? Why you don't have any food? Is there something that we can do to make sure people don't necessarily need these services? Yes, it feels great to provide them, but it would be so much more impactful if I could figure out how to make sure people didn't need them. And so, as I was saying, after the Christmas, because, um, you know, I kind of it was like, no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to try to figure out from a bigger standpoint, um, take a 10,000-foot view and see if there's something else that we can do to, like, solve the problem at the head. And then Flint just got me, man. Flint just got me. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I pray we don't speak this, these things, you know, the poisoning and um, what could be the ramifications of the lead poisoning all those days. Because I do believe that you can speak things into existence. And I also believe you can pray and we do know our God is a God of miracles. And so, you know, we can watch watch what I'm saying at the say. Watch what you say over those babies. Like, they'll be victorious. Um, they don't have to succumb um, to what's transpired. They will be victorious. And so speak those words when you're talking about Flint, just the FYI. Um, but Flint was a one-off. You know, some people hit me up, and they were like, are you going to do anything? And where can where's the checkpoints and whatever? And so I saw that Franklin Street Baptist Church um, was actually – sending supplies up, and I was able to reach out to my compadre, um, Amberly Harris, at whom I work with at the radio station, and she was all for it. She was like, hey, identify um, the way to get the stuff up there, and we'll make it happen, and it was just miraculous because at 1040, I was on the phone with my cousin, and I was I was praying, and I was like, I wonder if Mobile is going to care, um, and they did because at that moment a woman dropped off two cases and it was on and popping. And that was 20 minutes before the actual drive started. So are there anything um, coming up that we'll be lending our support to? Um, I can't say that just yet. You know, I kind of move as the spirit leads me, but I have been praying for a way to provide solutions so that people don't necessarily need the services locally, if that makes sense. That makes sense. That that um that does, and that's the most honest answer I've ever heard for someone that I know you don't want to call it charity uh, events, but you know to speak to the frustration of you know you're doing all you can and it, it seems like it's only just putting a band aid right on it. Um, so that's very honest, and I'm I'm glad that you know you were moved to you know go ahead and say you know what that I still can make an impact regardless of how small it is, and I'm sure Flint. Appreciate your efforts. Um, oh, definitely, it's all for the love of Flint, baby. Absolutely. 
Now, something else that you're real big into, uh, you know, I, I follow you very closely on, on social media, and you're very uh, involved as far as, like, empowering black women. And yes. I wanted to draw your attention to an article that was in Forbes mm-hmm. this week, and it stated how, which I was, let's just say, I want to put, I was completely, I was completely ignorant of all the stats in this article. I was completely blown away, and I'm usually interested in things that mm-hmm. I'm ignorant of. But I didn't know that black women were the fastest-growing entrepreneurs in this country. And uh, since 1997, they've grown by 200, I mean, excuse me, 322%. Yes. And and they're like, uh, they have like 1.5 million different businesses combined. Yeah. I was just blown away by that. I just wanted to get your, your take on on that how awesome is it to be recognized because that's what our aunties and our mamas have been doing right like when your auntie was a stylist like my aunties are stylists right and so i've seen very early on how black female entrepreneurs get it and growing up and watching them go to school to pick up a trade. They say, he that has a trade has an estate. And seeing them get this skill and then learn how to run businesses off this skill, and they're banging out 10 heads a day, 10 heads a day, six days a week. That's 60 heads, even if, you know what I'm saying, that's only $40 a head, and we know they're charging more than $40 a head. What's that, $2,400 a week? That's some money. Yeah. That's money. And so I look at the, the entrepreneurs like the stylists, um, the hairstylists, that is, the, the makeup artists now, because that's a whole nother industry in and of itself. And I know our sisters are getting money. And so I'm just surprised that somebody finally put a number to it. Um, and I'm actually excited about it. And I can say from 1997, that makes sense that we've increased so much um, because, you know, that's around the time where the hair industry started to change, and I say the hair distribution industry. And particularly, I can speak to Mobile, um, you know, for the longest of time, only um, certain kinds of people were even allowed to have those type of businesses where they were distributing and selling hair and hair products. Well, let's fast forward to 10 years, and now you have African-American women who are able to distribute the hair that they buy and sell. You know what I'm saying? So that that's a game changer in and of itself. The hair business is a a billion plus um you know industry. And so when you now have women that can distribute, distribution is everything. That's how No Limit got popping. You know what I'm saying? You remember that Universal cut them that uh or what's that? No, that was um Priority. Cash Money. Priority had No Limit and Cash Money deal with Universal. Like, that distribution deal was everything, how you get the product out there. Um, Even with the (laughs) D-Boys. Even with the D-Distribution is everything because you need to be able to get your product out out there. And so I think in every business. And so I'm glad that people have cared enough to start quantifying the numbers, but the black girls have been getting it for a very long time. Um, and so and I'm just proud to see those numbers, like, increasing further. Let me jump in here right quick. Uh, Erica, so you you made a great point about the numbers and, you know, black female entrepreneurs. So that's a very interesting topic because, again, when it comes into an election and the voting season, a lot of mm-hmm. um, people assume that black people are going to vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. And so technically that's kind of like counterintuitive to say if you're an entrepreneur, right, 
and you're getting your own money, doing your own thing, you should probably be more conservative voting Republican. Right. And so how does that dichotomy get wed with a new generation of black women who are, you know, Christian in the church coming up, knowing the Lord, but also about getting that money as well? How does that, um, the conservative side financially blend, you know, with the, the spiritual side? And, and how does that work? Um, and, and would you feel like somebody was a sellout if, say, a, you know, a bunch of black women were like, you know what, we're, we got our own thing, we're voting Republican. Like, how, how would that go over in the community, you think? Well, I think it's necessary for African Americans to start thinking more strategically about their politics. We've hoard the vote um, exclusively in the Democratic Party for, what, the last 50 years. And while we've had some, you know, some, some wins, I mean, we have an African American president that's Democrat. If you look at the socioeconomic status of our local communities, you have to question um, what has the party um, how has the party truly been effective? And I think um, when you ever you have a monopoly on anything, customer service wanes. That's why monopolies are illegal in business, right? <laughs> you can't right. just run a, a legal monopoly. That's not how it works. So the fact that they're able to run a legal monopoly on a political vote is a bit questionable to me. So I think from a strategic standpoint, it would make sense to consider um, – you know, going to the Republican Party and forcing some competition. However, the Republicans have done a piss-poor job of developing um, messages that connect to the African-American voter. And we could say it's because they're racist. We could say because they just don't give a damn. Um, you can come up with whatever reason as to why their messaging is completely insensitive to African-Americans and other minorities. Um, I don't know. I haven't figured it out. However, it would be um, very wise for the uppers, um, those people in a decision-making capacity of the Republican Party, um, to start consider how to best engage African-American voters. And I know Michael Steele was all for it um, when he was chair of the RNC, um, but I haven't seen that agenda get pushed wholeheartedly um, since he's no longer been in that capacity. And then on the, I mean, on the other end, they need some sexier black Republicans. <laughs> I mean, if we go just keep it fucky, like, please make the motherfuckers a little more sexy so we can be like, oh, at least look at it as being interesting. I haven't seen a sexy MF over in the Republican Party that's African-American yet, so you're, it's going to be pretty hard to get people's attention and you looking all stuffy. You know what I'm saying? Erica Perkins with us, who <laughs> obviously doesn't have a poster of being Carson somewhere. <laughs> um, she's a very busy woman, so I want to, I want to uh, throw one more question at you before we get you out of here. Um, we we I brought up the article earlier, uh, and we talked about the good part, but the bad part in it was that there, despite you know the growth of, of African American females and entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. they're still finding it hard to. Um, you know, get investors. Mm-hmm. They're like they're like point two percent of um, the lab. And, and one of the one of the uh, the numbers that really stood out to me the most was that the average startup for a black woman, a black female led company, was like thirty six thousand, compared to the average amount of all of all of the startup companies forty one million dollars. Yep. Like, I had to reread that like three or four times. Aren't we resourceful, though? Now, that's resourcefulness, baby. You're doing with 36000 when other folks need $1.3 and $41 to do. That's pretty resourceful. 
So I, I, I just wanted to uh, ask you, do you think that's because of um, stereotypes on black women? And, and if so, you know, what are some ways that black women can combat that? Or is it just prejudice? Um, I don't know why it would be so hard for people to see the greatness um, and the talent in African-American female entrepreneurs. Um, I can say, however, that, you know, as a saleswoman, I'm in sales um, as a nine-to-five, you have to um, consider those people that are going to be more apt to want to do business with you. So why are you going to Billy Bob when you know Billy Bob I'm not going to cut you a check? Maybe you should go to Jaheem and see what Jaheem got going on and how you can create a mutually beneficial relationship with him. You know what I'm saying? Like consider other sources of funding when traditional sources aren't there. We've already proven resourceful. So how about being a tad bit more savvy and going to um, alternative routes to get your. Correct. Correct. Ms. Perkins, we really want to thank you for this. This is a politically entertaining first. You're our very first guest we've ever had. How awesome is that? We're going down in history. <laughs> it's Black History Month, so. <laughs> I mean, I won't say anything about y'all bringing me on the 27th day of Black History Month. Thank God it's a leap year. You know what I'm saying? Leap year. Leap year. Exactly. <laughs> you can, uh, Find Erica Perkins every Monday and Thursday on yeah. The Wind Down. If you're on Facebook, just type in the search box, The Wind Down. That's yeah. wine like Merlot or Pinot Grigio. Our <laughs> uh, jam jar sweet red, <laughs> exactly. which is our preferred wine. She and uh, Aunt B will definitely give you um, their opinions on what's going on. And uh, we thank you for joining us, Erica, and we hope you'll do it again sometime. I most definitely I, I appreciate the opportunity. I wish you all much love, blessings, and prosperity as politically politically entertaining just goes through the roof, shoots through the moon. I pray all your dreams come true. God Thank peace. you very much. All right, y'all. Much love. All right. Peace. All right. Once again, I just want to thank uh, Erica Perkins for joining us. That was our very first interview. First of many, right, Frank? Hopefully. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, no, there's no new reason to hope we're definitely going to have uh, some more um, great guests on. Like I said, we're trying we're trying to give you different perspectives. I think you know, obviously, being a political show, we don't want to just focus on. We do want to focus obviously mostly on politics. We also want to focus on what's going on in the community and what makes a difference when you vote for people. Because I think we sometimes think about the vote. Voting for somebody is not like you pulling for the Miami Heat to win the championship, you know. You were very happy, I'm sure, in 2012, <laughs> 2014. Those those were great years for the Heat, and, and they were a great team. But what I'm saying is your candidate getting elected is not the same thing as, as the progress that happens on the street. I mean, it's it's one thing to go to the victory parade of your championship team and you enjoy it and you, you talk on Twitter about it and you laugh. That's great. We t- we somehow treat politics like the same thing, but these are lasting policies that happen. These are it is, you know you want to talk about we talk about legacies and sports and things like that, but these are legacies that we create for our children with who we vote for and 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 who we elect and who's running our community and, and like you you point out many times, local elections are are even are are way more important. Absolutely. Um, and and so it, you know the crazy thing is a lot of the issues that happen with you know especially with the Mike Brown and. And you know situations like that where there were there were there was an, there was a there was a 
a group of a demographic that wasn't voting and and the people that were elected were just running amok doing corrupt things and even though you know those people may have gone out and voted for say Barack Obama um and he was president for 8 years they still had the same local bs that they were dealing with and and the president you know cannot govern your county I think people misunderstand that. You know, people worry about who the president is, and they should. And, and I get it. It's a world thing. You want your, you know, world leader to be somebody who you respect. But at the end of the day, if whatever county you live in, whatever city, whatever state, those are the governments that affect you before the federal government does. And so you always have to keep that in mind and remember that and get, not get caught up in the, oh, you know, I'm so worried about Donald Trump. Well, do you, do you know who your mayor is? Do you know who your uh, councilmen are in your own city you should be worried about that and if you don't know those things you know you can look them up on the internet uh you know don't be ashamed if you don't know but what i'm saying is those are the things that are important and that's what we you know always want to try to share with you here obviously we we talk about the big stuff because it's national and it affects everybody but the local stuff is just as important we are going to give you our thoughts on um last week's episode of blackish it definitely had social media talking uh before we do just wanted to go over uh the president's plan to uh close gitmo uh guantanamo bay which is in cuba that's where we send terrorists that we catch on the battlefield it's something that he pledged to do when he ran for president in 08 he tried to do it in 2009 his first year frank he was unable to do it there are currently 91 prisoners there and he wants to close it down. He feels like it's a recruitment for terrorism. And just to let you know what a president's relationship is with Congress, he he went through this plan with the Pentagon. They put it together. They took the time to put it together. And Senator Roberts of Kansas, his reaction to the plan was, and if you couldn't hear that, he bought <laughs> He literally balled it up and threw it in the trash can. Uh, he posted a video doing that. Uh, Congress is not hearing it. And it's not just Republicans. There are some Democrats that are against it. And people just feel a certain kind of way about having terrorists come on American soil in prison, mixing with other prisoners. And I just wanted to get your thoughts, Frank, on do you, do you feel like Guantanamo is still a recruitment for terrorism? For those that don't know, during the Bush administration, that was a big scandal with how our soldiers were treating the prisoners, like doing some inhumane things. And it, it did at the time. It did set off, you know, um, radical extremists, and it, it was a recruitment for terrorism. But do you feel like it still is today, or um, do you agree with, I mean, do you disagree with Obama and that that's where we should continue to send our uh, terrorists that we catch on the battlefield? I think I think it's a tough I think it's a slippery slope position. I think, you know, Guantanamo originally the problem is you definitely have some people who were definitely high um value targets, they you know, criminals as you would as you would you know, so to speak. The problem is I think there were some people in, in prison that were maybe there just by association, they weren't necessarily they hadn't necessarily done anything, they were just kinda maybe associated with it. They may or may not have been guilty. So the problem is once you put people in prison and they're say not totally uh, doing what you say they're doing. Maybe when they get out, they are going to be, you know, doing what, what you think they're doing. So I think the difficult part is once you have people in prison like that, where, you know, how can you safely let them out? And, you know, like you said, even just moving them to another prison, you know, somewhere else, else in the United States, well, does that make it a target? Because, they'll, you know, will they say, hey, 
you know, with the with it being in Cuba before, obviously, you know, it's like, well, it's not American soil, but it's on American soil, then you can, I mean, it's diff- it's just a difficult uh, situation, and I don't think there's an easy answer to it. I think that holding people indefinitely um, without trial certainly goes against what you would, you know, you call the Geneva Convention and things like that. But, you know, if it is, if you think this is an act of war, a time of war, then those things do over- get overridden, I, I, sp- I suppose. I mean, at the end of the day, I think we have a huge problem that is not going to get solved uh, either way. Uh, you know, I think that there's, you know, a number of people who feel like we, we've, wrong, we've wrongfully imprisoned some people who have nothing to do with anything. There are some people who are rightfully imprisoned who have probably wanted to harm the United States. I just think that it's, it's diff- it's, it just looks bad from this standpoint. It looks bad because there's a lot of people in these prisons, and we don't necessarily know what, they're being, what they've been charged with and what they're, what's going on. And we just said, oh, they're bad people, and we just have accepted that. And I think that's very, very dangerous, as I, as, I, as I talked about last week with the whole the police, you know, telling Beyonce that you need to, um, you know, acknowledge that you're not anti-police before we do your show. When the government can just imprison anybody because they say they're bad, what makes you think they can't do that to you? And I think people think, oh, well, I'm not a Muslim. I don't, you know, pray to Allah. I don't wear, you know, um, you know, a head, a head, you know, a head wrap or whatever. You know, I don't wear, you know, I don't wear a burqa. So I'm not gonna. It's like it's that's the beginning. You know, so just always, and I don't, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy, I'm not here to do that, but I'm just saying those are things that are important. The precedent is set that the government can now put people in a place, in a prison, with or without proving that they've done something. Not saying that they haven't done something, but I'm saying just, just understand what that means. And and so that's why some people have been against it from the beginning, but it's a necessary evil. That's why it's difficult to police a country and, and live in a world where there's so much going on, but... It's it's an amazing uh, decision that the president's made. I can't say whether it's right not right or wrong because I think it's going to be one of those kind of things where it depends on how it plays out. If 10 years from now there is a big plot in, in the new prison or the new place where these prisoners are is, is, is a target or something, then it's going to look like a bad decision. If nothing happens and everything kind of goes hunky-dory, then it'll be the right decision. Now, it's just one of those things where it's going to be difficult to say what's the right and wrong decision at this moment. It's it's very unpopular, so I, I think it's safe to say that it won't get done. In fact, it's actually against the law to transfer any prisoners on U.S. soil. So if he does it, because the president is thinking about using uh, executive action on it, if he does it, they'll have to go to a uh, – because we do send some of them to prisons in other countries. So that at best may happen, but I don't – if anybody is worried about – you know, terrorists being locked up on U.S. soil. That's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, did you did you happen to catch that episode of Blackish this week? I did not. I've been horrible on watching TV. I, you know, if, if you for those people out there with who are new parents, you know, the bedtime gets is, is based on your your kids, and you know, we've been we haven't been watching any TV uh, too much. I have heard a lot about it. I heard it was great. Uh, I'm, I'm relying on you. I'm living through you, Byron, to fill me in on what happened. Well, okay. Spoiler alert for anybody that you know watches Blackish and has, hasn't seen the episode yet. Spoiler alert. We're about to talk about it. So if you don't want to hear it, then you may want to go ahead and I guess fast forward or mute or pause, whatever you want to do. But we're about to talk about Blackish. But yeah, it was it was a good episode. Um, I'm actually not a fan of the show. I tried to watch it a while ago and 
it was like, eh. And I did see one episode I liked. But overall, I don't know if this is something that I've realized as an adult, Frank, but, you know, like when I watch the Cosby show or whatever, uh, you know, to me on Blackish, and I hope Blackish fans don't come at me. This is just my opinion. I'm not, so don't come for me. The the To me, it's not a lot of good acting on the show. Like the kids are not good actors to me on that show. And I don't know if maybe it was the same way with, like, Rudy and Raven Simone character on the Cosby show, but because I was much younger, I didn't really know the difference between bad and good acting. So maybe it's always been like that with child actors. But to me, the kids, they don't really do it for me. Uh, Anthony Anderson, though, Frank, this was like there's this one scene. Well, first off, the episode is about, you know, all the different unarmed police killings of black people. And they did such a great job. I do want to say that, man. They did a fantastic job with this episode as far as capturing the emotions of, of black people during these, you know, verdicts where it comes back that they're not going to indict the officer. Yeah, I still remember watching the Trayvon uh, trial, excuse me, the George Zimmerman trial, uh, and sitting next to my wife, and I kind of felt like I knew what the answer was going to be, but it's still like it takes something out you when you actually hear it. And they just captured all the emotions they had. You know, one of the family members was like, you know, the police, they have to deal with violent people all the time, and they should get the benefit of the doubt. And you had the other extreme of, no, they kill, they, all they do is set out to, like, kill black people, and you had every opinion in between. But the scene I wanted to get to, Frank, was when Anderson is talking to his wife, um, Tracy Ellis, who was on the show. There's a scene where he's talking about when Obama was first elected, and during the inauguration when they're riding down uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, and he got out of the limo. Do you remember watching that? Did you watch the inauguration? I did. Uh-huh. I did. I mean, it was, it was interesting because I watched, I think everybody watched the inauguration. I watched it uh, actually at work. There was Everybody came to the conference room and just wanted to see, uh, you know, I think it was a historic moment regardless of if you voted for the president or not. I think everybody wanted to see what was going to happen. There was a certain... Um, uh, you know, hope and and you know even 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 for some people a novelty to see, you know what was going to unfold over the next you know four years and it became eight years and and obviously now we're getting towards the end of that. I I remember watching it and when he got out of the uh, the limousine to walk, which is customary for presidents to do, he and Michelle they got out of the limousine to walk. I didn't know that I wasn't the only one that felt this way, but I remember watching it like. You know, Barack, Mr. President, please get back in the car because all you could think about was somebody taking him out. And I saw on social media that so many people felt the exact same way. And Anthony Anderson's character, he he summed it up with this scene. This is him talking to, you know, his wife on the show. Quote, you remember that amazing feeling we had during the inauguration? I was sitting right next to you, and we were so proud. And we saw him get out of that limo and walk alongside of it and wave to that crowd. Tell me you weren't terrified when you saw that. Tell me you weren't worried that someone was going to snatch that hope away from us like they've always done. Now, obviously, I didn't read it as well as he said it, but you just you, you really need to see that scene, man, to, to do it some justice. It was it was really a great episode. It was well written. Like I say, the, the, the kid acting of it doesn't really do it for me, but... I was very surprised that a network, you know, ABC, a major network, would even 
allow an episode like that to be aired, uh, especially like, you know, you mentioned Beyonce and all the flack she's caught. You know, I was just really surprised, and it was it was nice to see on television. It really was. They they really captured all of the emotions, man. I think that's great. I mean, like I said, I think it's great that they were able to air the episode from a standpoint of, you know, blackish is 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 now. I think you know when you think when you think about the Cosby Show and what it was, that wasn't that was a that was a good show. And, and, and I'm not said we're not gonna get into anything about Bill Cosby, but it was a good show. But it wasn't the total black experience in America where it's blackish, even though they are more of a comedy and they had the serious episode, they're actually more in line of today, how most people feel about today. You know, the Cosby show was was a, almost like a caricature of what a black family wanted to be and needed to be in you know, in that point in time, like, okay, here's here's the dream, you know, uh, of what of what the family looks like versus blackish is kinda like this is what is going on, this is what we're dealing with, and then for them to have a powerful episode like that is very good because it's allowing people to see, uh, you know, see the relationship of how minorities interact in this country. I think a lot of people, you know, some some there there are people, I, I think one thing we do is we give too much credit to people who are racist. I think there's people who just don't necessarily know about the struggle of being a minority because they haven't had to grow up deal, dealing with it. I mean, it's it's very possible that, you know, if you're not African American, maybe there was the first time you came into contact with a bunch of African Americans, maybe it was in college or it wasn't until you went to work. You didn't necessarily grow up. You, you didn't have the luxury. You, you had the luxury of, you know, maybe not associating with African Americans in certain areas of your life. Whereas, you know, for African Americans, it's a different, you know, struggle. And, and this, like I said, I'm not trying to turn this into any type of a race type of um, discussion as, as much as I'm just saying here's the reality of what it is it's a different world when you're a minority living in, in, a, in a country and, and, and any minority would, would, would agree with that uh, and so blackish for what it is it, it definitely you know is, is taking on that role and it stepped up in class um, this week you know even though I haven't seen the episode I have read about it and I understand the, the where the show has been going and I think that they they they've grown to the point where they're able to have this episode because I think if they had if this had been their pilot episode they would have been canceled. Okay, so they had to work they had to work into this. So give them credit, give the writers credit for saying, hey, we've seen where we can go with this show, and here's what we can do. And so for them to be able to drop that message and and get strong ratings and strong reviews is very powerful. And and hopefully I will get people who had who are not aware of the struggle to get out there and. And understand, the next time you, you hear about Black Lives Matter, it's not just something that people are, nobody's looking for a handout or people aren't looking to sue somebody. It's actual things that are happening to people and affecting people's lives in a, in a very uh, negative way. And, and you know, and, and, you know, and, and worse than out of prayer for those people, those families, when you hear they're affected by it, you know, you know, read, read the facts are in the case. Those, those are things I, I can recommend to anybody, not just uh, people who aren't minorities, people who are minorities. Like, just just get involved and pay attention and read and, and, and educate yourself. That's what Byron always says. It's so important. Just educate yourself on, on all situations. Absolutely right. Another show in the books, huh, partners? Yeah, man, it went it went fast, but you know, we gotta gotta get back to our how would you say, um, our day job so to speak. But I I, I definitely like I said, wanna thank all the listeners, if this is your first time, we thank you for listening. We hope to uh, have you listen again. Uh, if you have you um, second time, third time, fourth time listening, we appreciate it. Uh, again, continue to support us. Uh, we'll be on iTunes soon, so you can definitely uh, check out the podcast there. 
Uh, you can interact with us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash politically entertaining. We're also on Twitter at the vocal minority, D-A-V-O-C-L, minority. I'm not going to spell it because I don't want to mess it up. Um, also, you can email us directly, info at politicallyentertaining.com as well. Please visit the website, Politically Entertaining. Um, I want to thank Erica Perkins again for joining us, co-host of The Wind Down. Make sure you check that out every Monday and Thursday. In fact, you should, as uh, soon as you finish listening to that show, go to Facebook, type in The Wind Down, check those two young ladies out. I promise you, you won't regret it. Thank all the listeners. And um, I am very excited about us officially being on iTunes. So uh, that's something that I am very excited about. So please, if you have access to iTunes, check us out on there. Subscribe to the series. And we will be back next week, folks. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates. Thank you.